Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is Are These Books Strong? <laughs> I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And I'm Mariana. This is your book club with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. This month, we're reading a darkly disturbing yet exquisitely beautiful fictional novel, The Vegetarian, by South Korean author Hong Kang. Winner of the Man Booker International Prize and listed as one of the 10 best books by the New York Times Book Review in 2016. Yeah. Woo-woo. But before we enter this world, how about last week, chicas? Oh. <laughs> Many tears <laughs> were shed. <laughs> Such admirable honesty and vulnerability came to the surface from the three of us. Our happy hour was a tad heavier than usual. Yeah. <laughs> I think we. Allowed ourselves to go to places that are difficult at times, but I'm so glad we did. Same. Conversations about death, spirituality, and the daily realities we face are never easy. But when a safe space is created, at least these situations are more easily digested. Is that a pun for this book, Mariana? Digested <laughs> yeah, a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> Well, for that, I say thank you, Emma. <laughs> My Lady M. Oh. What shall we be sampling this habitual happy hour? Mm-hmm. I'm yeah. so glad you asked, Mariana. <laughs> I hope today's cocktail tastes better than the name would imply. Today's cocktail is called Bloody Lady. Ooh. Delicious. And it's a twist on a Bloody Mary. Not just any twist, but a Korean twist using the popular Korean spirit soju as the base. Hmm. I know with Bloody Marys, you either hate them or love them, but this one is so different that I do hope everyone gives her a try before you dismiss her. But let me let our bartender tell you more because this one is a little complex. Here to share the recipe for this kicker of a cocktail is our capable bartender, <laughs> Ricardo. 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 Sexy R. Ciao, ladies. Welcome to the bar. <laughs> okay, that's better. How are you guys? How are you, ladies? We're so great. Amazing. How are you? Ready? I'm fine. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> we started early. Good. We're not drunk yet. Tell us what we're getting drunk on. Yeah. Okay, so the cocktail of today is called Bloody Lady. And it's a twist on a Bloody Mary with a a Korean touch. The recipe, it's pretty complicated on paper, but it's actually a regular Bloody Mary composition in in making the actual cocktail. So Uh the first thing that we are going to put on a plate and set it apart is this Korean spice mix. I honestly don't going to stress you too much because I... uh, used uh, the Everything But The Bagel seasoning by Trader Joe's and Ah. it has pretty much everything that you need to make the rim on the glass. So let's get fancy with Trader Joe's. Then uh, we're going to need three ounces of soju, that is a Korean uh, rice liqueur, three ounces of tomato juice, half of a teaspoon of ginger, five dashes of soy sauce, one teaspoon of rice vinegar and one dash of sriracha and half of an ounce of lemon juice. The sriracha, yeah, the sriracha is optional for the, like, depending how spicy you want it. I know that Emma doesn't like spicy things, so we completely didn't put the sriracha, but if you like to have like a little spicy note on the the cocktail, that's definitely a, a good addition. The cocktail yeah. is pretty easy to make because you put all the ingredients in the in the shaker, shake and strain over ice. After that, you did the, the rim on the glass with the Trader Joe's, everything <laughs> but, the game, but the bagel mix. Uh, this cocktail <laughs> needs to be double strain because of the grated ginger. You don't want to have like uh, the grated yeah. ginger no, while you're you sipping the cocktail. No, yeah, that'd you be, don't. That'd be gross. No thanks. Yeah. <laughs> uh, everything in this cocktail is pretty much rice based. So 
it shouldn't be that strong in terms of in terms of ABV. Uh, I know that you probably will drink two or three of those. Uh, you're <laughs> you're safer than the usual. It's oh, not I'll that strong. Okay. Great. Yeah, yeah. So you can actually enjoy. Two so or... we can make four. Yes, five. exactly, exactly, <laughs> Mariana. Nice, perfect for us. Perfect. And it's very appropriate for you for the chapter of your Absolutely, the book. Yes. it is. <laughs> so enjoy your bloody lady and alla vostra salute, ragazze. Gracias, Ricardo. Ricardo. Ciao. Bye. All right, women. Salute. Salud. The first flavor that hits me is the ginger. Oh, And really? I love it. Oh, not for you? Uh, Maybe I didn't do enough. Oh, Mariana hates ginger. Yeah, but it's <laughs> like I could deal with it with this one. Not too yeah. bad. I first get hit by the tomato juice, but then that sriracha. I mean, I love spicy, so I gave myself two good, like, Oh, I was going to ask how much. Oh, oh it's good. Oh. It is How are you good. drinking it? Spicy I lady. love it. I love Ooh. it. I'm also obsessed so with this everything but the bagel seasoning as a rim for it. It's so perfect. I think that's hilarious that he did that. Trader so Joe's. <laughs> through and through. All right. Well, let's get into this. Yeah. This week, we meet young Hya through the eyes of her husband. She's an unremarkable woman, his words, not mine. That's right. Who wakes up one day having had a disturbing dream that puts her off eating meat, a decision that deeply disturbs her husband, who is deeply devoted to complying with societal norms. Mm-hmm. As young Hya's disturbing, bloody dreams continue, her body begins to wither away. She gets thinner and thinner, more gaunt and less conscious of society's expectations, slowly driving her husband mad. After a work dinner that goes terribly wrong, he contacts her family, convinced that they'll be able to set her straight. Instead, Young Hya ends up in the hospital, having slit her wrists. And in the final moments we spend with her this week, she seems unreachable, sitting naked in the hospital garden, licking at her sutured wrist, and tightly clutching a dead white bird that looks as if it's been mauled by a predator. Wow. Yeah. What a place to start. Wow. (laughs) This book. (laughs) This book. I don't. Is it appropriate to start right there where you just left us with the synopsis, even though that's the last thing we read? Or do we need to? Sure. Go ahead. Do it. I mean, I was already having images of that, but just hearing you retell this description, I more so than ever was envisioning her turning into an animal. Mm-hmm. Same. Mm-hmm. Did you feel that? It feels I like did. this progression mm. that she's slowly becoming the thing that that she wanted to give up that everyone thinks is so necessary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But also for the first time, again, in hearing that beautiful description, I think it's so interesting, and I hadn't thought about this, is that she does keep getting thinner and thinner and gaunt and everyone's saying that she looks so sickly and unhealthy, which is funny because it seems like a lot of people assume that vegetarians or people that don't eat meat get really skinny because they're not like bulking up on protein. So I think that's hilarious that that's becoming like a negative attribute for something that's not necessarily a negative Thing. Do you right. Know what I mean? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and to your point, in it. that final moment, I thought not only to me, not only did she seem animal-like, I thought she seemed cat-like to me. The mm. way she's like slowly licking at her wrist, mm. the way she's like fixedly staring back, unashamed at the people who are watching her, mm-hmm. and then of course the reveal that she's holding this dead bird, which she seems to have taken a bite out of. And I was reading an article. They talked about how cats are bad omens in Korea. They're associated oh, with bad luck oh, and wow. bad spirits. And they're extremely mistreated. I think animal welfare in general is a little bit neglected. Mm. But cats in particular, from what I read, have a really difficult time in, in South Korea. And I found mm. myself wondering if this book is in a way likening women's lives to those of cats. Mm. Is it a bit of a statement 
on women's lives in this more stifling culture. We see her serve her husband. We watch his indignance anytime she steps a foot out of line to make herself comfortable. And then, of course, we witness the violence at the hands of her own family. Multiple times, who think they know what's best for her. Um, And I think this beautiful little white bird that she kills in the end might be what's left of her spirit, Mm. giving into the madness that she's surrounded by. She's crossed over and realized that the madness is not inside her. She's not the crazy one. It's the world outside of her that she can't live in anymore. I'm wondering, too, because there's a mention a couple of times of her, like, disrobing her saying that uh-huh, it's too uh-huh. hot and taking off whatever layer of clothing she has in her upper yeah. body. And that bra, yeah. Yeah, and her bra. <laughs> and I think that's also a, a, a kind of a, a symbol for her, like, just disrobing and taking off those toxins and all that the outer mm. world has kind of pushed yeah. upon her. Like it's shedding. It's a way of just yeah. shedding. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yes. Ooh, yes. I think you're really onto something here. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, now that we've talked about the ending. (laughs) How about that beginning? Let's go back to the beginning. (laughs) Let's go to where it starts. I mean, the first mention that we we have of the husband, how he describes his wife, is that he would marry the most run-of-the-mill woman in the world. Really pissed me off. Same. But then when we also hear the description, right? It's like that's how you're describing the woman that you married. But I think it also says a lot about who he is because he's not painting himself to be all that either. So he's like, it makes sense for me and the shithead I am that I would marry an, an ordinary woman. Yeah, he even goes on to say the passive personality of this woman in whom I could detect neither freshness nor charm or anything especially refined suited me down to the ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I very much had a sense of him that like he's not really striving for much and he doesn't want to have to. And if he had married some, you know, someone who he maybe thought was a little more extraordinary, he'd maybe have to try or something. I'm not a fan of this man. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> neither <laughs> I don't think am any I. Of us are. <laughs> no. But on that note, Emma, I I found it really interesting that the writer chose to tell the story from his perspective. It's about his wife, uh-huh. but we're hearing it through him. Right. And I wondered what you guys made of that. What do you think that perspective is giving us? Well, I think it would be hard to tell it from her perspective. I mean, we're seeing her through the dreams, but. Right. We do get those snippets. But I feel like if we saw it from her perspective, it would be less dark and more. We'd be like, well, yeah, this makes sense. Like, of course, you're giving up meat because of these dreams. Like, it wouldn't seem as dark and mysterious because I think she would just be like, this is how it is. I'm having these terrible dreams. I decided to give up meat. And we'd be like, yeah. But the fact that we're seeing um, we're seeing from the antagonist point of view makes her side of the stories, it makes it seem like we're witnessing a villain, even though I think that we still empathize with her, which I think is like yeah. an interesting an interesting way to tell that story. And I was sucked in from the get-go because of how much I hated this man. I think <laughs> yeah. there was something yeah. about him describing yeah. his wife in such a manner that I was just like, I need to find out more about why he feels this way. Yeah. What it what has what has their relationship been like through all these years for for him to see his wife as ordinary? Because I find yeah. that find that quite disturbing. That itself is really disturbing to me and really dark. Well, even as women, you know, when she talks about wanting to take off her bra and not wear a bra, mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, girl, like of course. Of Who course. wants to wear a bra? I'm right there yeah. with you. Same. But when we hear how disgusted he is by that it just paints a different we get more details of what's going on in his mind about why that's bad as opposed to us just riding along the wave with her and being like yeah Mm. don't wear a bra (laughs) that was really interesting to me that whole storyline like why that kept coming up i also thought it was fascinating that when she says she doesn't want to wear a bra sort of the first thing that he says is oh she says she doesn't want to wear it because it's too confining and his first thought is to be like, well, every other woman in society wears a bra and mm-hmm. they don't say it's uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. So why won't you do it? It's mm-hmm. like he's very quick to just say this is the norm. So you should be doing that no matter how you feel about it. Again, why I think we need the book through his eyes. But what did you feel? Do you feel differently about that, Brandy? No, I completely agree. I feel like it almost puts us 
it's a very disconcerting way, I feel like, to put us on his side in a way. We're on society's side mm-hmm. where we're supposed to be judging this woman. He's like, you know, it's like somebody saying awful things about women and they're like, you know, you know what I mean? You right. agree, right? And you're like, <laughs> right. wait a minute, what? I yeah. am not like you. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but it automatically puts us in that outsider perspective where we're meant to be judging her, but we realize we're probably more like her than like him. And, you know, they've been married for five years and she takes care of him like a mother does to a child. Uh, And so I think it's funny that we get to see that even though he's the one telling the story, I'm still I'm still seeing like how uh, childish he is and how. Oh, my God. Yeah. How he's craving for her to take care of him, even Mm -hmm. though she's supposed to be a partner. She's not his mom. Right. But it's fascinating how he has no qualms about saying all of this to us. He has no qualms about being, oh, my God, the first time that she says, I have I had a dream and I see her in front of the refrigerator is the first time that I go with the wrinkled shirt to work because she wasn't she didn't have (laughs) all that ready for me. So it's like he's very much like this is how it's been. This is how society is. This is how like we've gone about our lives for this past the past five years. So she's wrong. I'm right. Like, Mm -hmm. how dare she? How dare she not be ready for me? How dare she not iron for me? How dare she not cook meat for me? And his whole world backs him up. You know what I mean? Her family believes the same way. They all behave the same way. His co-workers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That dinner. dinner. All right. Let's talk about the dinner. Because I felt very... uh, scene <laughs> in the scene like I I was like oh my god I know this like they're, they're talking to me you've lived this uh, yeah um so this is gonna lead me into into my question for you two. Oh, I want to get into the relationship that you two have with eating meat versus not eating meat personally I became a pescatarian about nine years ago I think which was a step that I thought I would never be able to take because I loved meat so much I thought it would be impossible and then it was actually really easy then I went from being a pescatarian to being a vegan which I thought would be impossible because I love fish and cheese Mm-hmm. Brandy, you became a vegetarian for a while, and then you. I became, was vegan for a while. You were vegan, okay, mm-hmm. and then you became, and now you're a pescatarian. Yeah, and Mariana, as far as I know, you've always been a carnivore. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wanted to know, Brandy, why did you decide to stop eating meat or, or go vegan when you did, mm-hmm. and have you been judged for that decision, like Young Hia was at the fancy dinner? Do you think you'll ever go back to eating meat again? And Mariana, do you think if you ever decided to give up meat, would your family ridicule you for it and give you a hard time for that, especially when you're having meals together? Mm-hmm. Conversely, have you ever been judged by vegetarians for your dietary choice to eat meat? Well, I find that in my own life, I live by a really complicated, pretty nonsensical hypocritical set of rules, which I feel like might be true for a lot of people when it comes to food. It's such a complicated thing. Mm -hmm. I think I love animals so much and I treat my pup as if he were my kid. You guys have Mm -hmm. seen me. I can see he's got a beautiful little personality in there and he deserves to experience love and joy and life. I won't go to a zoo because I think they're cruel. Um, Yeah. But at the same time, I still eat fish. I sometimes eat chicken. Mm. I won't drink dairy, but I often find it impossible to say no to cheese. And when I travel, one of my favorite things to do is try the local food, which more often than not includes dairy and meat. Um, So I think it's really I think it's really difficult. Mm -hmm. I'm mostly dairy free, except for some of the cheese I eat here and there. And I still eat a lot of the meals that I used to make when I was vegan. So there are several days of the week where we're eating vegan, mm-hmm. even if we haven't completely reverted, reverted back. Mm. Um, I think sometimes we have a tendency in society to think of it as an all or nothing 
thing. You have to go cold turkey or, you know, don't even try. Yeah. And I don't think that's right. That really bothers me. I think if you're someone who knows you're never going to be able to go all the way vegan, start by giving up dairy. Start by giving up red meat or, you know, try it out three days of the week and work your way up. That makes a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And just know that if you fall off the wagon and you have some burrata because it's summer and you're eating outside (laughs) with a glass of wine, enjoy that damn burrata. Savor it. I love burrata. Exactly. Treat it like it's a luxury, but then get right back to, you know, your responsible, uh, your responsible eating Mm. in terms of whether or not I was like criticized by anybody when I went vegan. I don't think I was. People had a lot of questions about it. I I definitely tried to be as quiet about it as possible, if that Mm. makes any sense. Uh Like I would order things at restaurants that I knew were vegan or I might ask a question here or there of the server to make sure. But like I wasn't broadcasting it. Right. Because I know that it's a thing and I was not there for dealing with that. (laughs) Isn't that fascinating that it is a thing? Yeah. I mean, that's why I said that this this ties in so closely to the dinner because the the offense that they had. Oh, my God. For her was like. It, it was, was so revolting. common. But that, <laughs> but like, that's disgusting. Here, yeah. you know, in yeah. the U.S. too now. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And there was such a hypocritical moment where I forget. I think it's one of the wives who's saying that she'd hate to have to share a meal with someone who considers eating meat repulsive just because that's the way they feel personally. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, they're finding her repulsive for not eating meat just because that's the way she feels personally. It was a really weird moment. Yeah. I also want to bring up that his co-worker's wife, and I believe we're talking about the same woman here, she also says that people who arbitrarily cut out this or that food, even though they're not actually allergic to anything, that's what I would call narrow-minded. And I'm like, right. you're the I one that's actually arbitrary. Right. Here. Right. Right. <laughs> Unreal. I also do have to say that I think, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't it easier to be a vegan in New York than it would be in some other areas? Oh, totally. The states, at least. Yeah, imagine going home and being vegan in Texas, Brandy. Yeah. But what I was about to say is what's amazing is that so many fast food chains are starting to pick up vegan options. When Mm -hmm. Chipotle picked up that vegan option, I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. It's very true. You know what I mean? So I think the more normal it's becoming, the easier it's going to be. More accessible for all. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Emma, to your question for me. Yeah. uh, I I actually don't think that my family would ever ridicule me for not eating meat. I've actually taught my parents how to eat less meat (laughs) and they're very much like in a health kick right now which I experienced when I was home during the holidays where they eat lean meat about once a week and they enjoy most fish vegetables and of course sushi (laughs) they're eating sushi all the time because of me Um, the thing though meat is such an enormous part of my culture and it was Mm -hmm. part of my upbringing It was always present in almost every single meal when I was growing up, even in the soups, in like the lentil soups, in the chicken soups, la sopa gallega, el ajiaco, all that stuff always had some sort of meat or the bone of the meat to make something Uh more flavorful. Yeah. So, and leave like even barbecues. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say Mexicans, too. Like at a restaurant, sometimes you'll have to ask if the beans have, sometimes they'll be cooked with lard. They'll be cooked with beef. That, yeah. Exactly. yeah. So stuff that doesn't even have meat has meat. It has meat. Yeah. It's hidden in there somewhere for right. the flavor. But throughout the years, I think, and I think it started when I moved away from home, that I became more like a pescatarian because I was pretty much eating fish, veggies, having a very balanced diet and trying to have meat, like a solid piece of meat, at least once a week or so. But I'm slightly anemic and... It like runs in my family. So that's been kind of tricky. And I've noticed that my energy levels lower if I don't eat meat once a week since it's been something that I was so used to. Hmm. But I do tend to to, like cook lean meat and turkey and lean chicken breast or non-fatty skirt steak to give myself that iron content that my body like so much craves. I don't know if I would ever completely go without meat, but... Andrew and I love fish and we love vegetarian and vegan meals every now and again. 
Yeah. And or I think I have to listen to my body and what it needs to keep me up doing the amount of activity I do every day and have been doing for most of my life. So it's something that I've kind of adjusted myself to. But it's so fascinating because in hearing your answer, I do kind of detect this sense of like you you feel like you have to defend why you eat meat, which I found There's a, a part lot of, that, of yes. carnivores do that with me. They're like, well, you know, like, but I eat less meat or – and it's like I don't judge anyone for eating meat. Do you know what I mean? I did for yeah. – 20 some years of my life and I love meat but I think it's interesting when people find out that I don't eat it I feel like they have to defend why they do as if I'm like criticizing them for that choice which is so Mm -hmm. funny I think like we're always just trying to defend our dietary choices (laughs) as if like it matters to anyone other than us well but I also think because we're sensitive and we kind of very in tune with how others feel or how others mm-hmm. are perceiving us so I think that like that maybe is what's coming off a little bit because I do I do respect either your both of your choices but yeah I guess in a way I am kind of defending as to why I've stuck with me and why my body still wants it I think it's really interesting that the book is called The Vegetarian When actually it seems like she's gone vegan, right? She's thrown out the eggs. She's given up the milk. She got rid of all her leather shoes. And I wondered wondered if the author chose to use the word vegetarian sort of off of what you were saying, Emma, because the word vegan is sometimes seen as more political. Mm. Well, I will say, because I already felt a sense of... um, that people would think of me as, like, entitled by saying I was a pescatarian. I guess I felt maybe entitled is not the right word, but I definitely felt criticized for that decision, especially when I was working in a restaurant. Because, really? Mm. Oh, man, like, the chefs were always like, oh, well, you can't try this because you They're don't the eat worst. meat, blah, blah, blah. The yeah. chefs were, were so— They're so snooty. So snooty. About that. And— um, and it's funny because, like, I, I describe myself as a foodie. Like, I love mm-hmm. food. And mm-hmm. so it was a really interesting choice that I made because I realized that I was going to not be able to try a lot of foods, which is hard for me to accept as a foodie because I want to eat everything. But then, to the point I was making earlier, when I decided to eat vegan, that was I, – I, I realized that I was actually um, – I was like judging myself in a way. It was like I was making assumptions about myself for that choice, which is so dumb. And I think because I previously had made assumptions in my own brain about what that meant, you know, like people that eat vegan, it's like, oh, about other people because you're worried about the way that your body looks as opposed to like your inner health, Mm. you know, because it's like it's because it was trendy. And so Mm. I was concerned that when I identified myself as being plant based, which now I prefer to vegan because it sounds less obnoxious. (laughs) Like, I used to say vegetarian instead of pescatarian because I think pescatarian even sounds a little, like, hoity-toity. I know what you mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so because I had made those assumptions about myself when I decided that, like you said, Brandy, which I thought was so interesting, I also, like, I definitely don't broadcast that. Like, I'm pretty quiet about it because I don't – I know what people are going to think about that choice and I don't even want to deal with it. Yeah, because um, it's none of anybody's business at the no end of the business. day. Like, it's nobody's business what I eat or what you eat. It doesn't, you know. Right, it and it's matter. like your choice. It's like, what do people have to do with your choices? You decide what to do, you decide what to eat. Like, let me be. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's, it is infuriating at times. Which is why I think, though, veganism does get sort of a bad rap because a lot of vegans are coming from a place of, of an animal rights perspective. Mm-hmm. And so they do tend to get up on a soapbox about that mm-hmm. about animals having rights, which I totally, totally get. understand. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I think you just have to be somebody who's ready to take that on <laughs> if if, yeah. if that's going to be, you know, the platform you choose. While I was reading this, and um, so Andrew and I, and I don't know if you ladies watch The Crown or have been fans of The yes, Crown. I are love you The Crown. Are you up to date? I'm caught up. Yeah. You're caught up? Well, so, uh, well, Andrew and I just finished season four, like literally a couple of days ago. And I cannot help but see the parallels between Yang Kia and Princess Diana. I knew about Princess Diana and how beloved she was. I remember watching the funeral with my mom and how devastated the world was for her. Oh, yeah. For such a tremendous loss. What I did not know 
that the crown has done so exceptionally well is to base it on, loosely base it on factual events. Mm-hmm. And it's to tell the truth of what actually was going on behind closed doors. So just oh. like Yankia, Princess Diana felt incredibly lonely and was constantly misunderstood. She was in so much emotional pain and felt abandoned. She was adored by the world, but ironically, the love and the approval she was starving for led her to starve herself by becoming bulimic. And this was her way of depriving herself of the nutrients that would keep her healthy and sane. Wow. There was even an article that I read from the Washington Post where um, Diana was interviewed right before her death or her untimely death, because obviously she didn't know she was about to die, that she said, you inflict it upon yourself because self-esteem is at a low ebb and you don't think you're worthy or valuable. Which in a way, I think the young Kia is doing this. She is so fed up Mm. with living within a loveless marriage where her partner looks at her and thinks, meh. You know, all she can do is starve herself. It's a way to defy and escape her reality. And wow. And Yankia says intolerable loathing so long repressed. Hmm. Loathing I've always tried to mask with affection, but now the mask is coming off. Mm. That's an interesting. I didn't know that all that. That that makes me want to watch the crowd. Yeah, it's unbelievable what Princess Diana went through. Well, and that reminds me of what you just said, too, because earlier, you know, we said that we thought that she was turning it into an animal. And I do still think that. But there was a point in the book where it, I thought maybe in her mind, her husband was the animal. Mm-hmm. Like when she was smelling the meat coming out of his pores. Yeah. And she was giving him up. Like he's the one that's actually making her sick. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And that she loathes. And so she's getting rid of him. I think on some level it's society, too, that she's just like, I can't live this way anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I think there's I think there's a lot going on with her family, too. It oh, seems my God, yes. Uh. That moment, there were, there were two very striking moments for me with her family. Obviously, the one where she and her husband go have that meal with them and her father tries to force feed her. But yeah. there's also this really weird dream slash memory with mm. the dog that bit her as a oh, child. Right. Which oh, seemed... they did that horrible thing, It too. seemed like a memory that she was re-dreaming or something, yeah. right? Like this horrible memory right. that came back to her, right. which also mm. seemed... Um, just horrifying. Well, and even at the end, when her mom lies and tells her that she's giving her an herbal, oh yeah, that goat concoction, milk? What and was it's it? black goat, goat. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Her family is not the not the family I would want to be in. I think they're all just so indoctrinated into yeah. their way of life that yeah. they. I think they genuinely believe they're doing what's best for her, um, and they just don't realize that it's not working for her. Mm-hmm. that she wants no part of it. Well, to that point, I have a question for you guys because we learn a lot about, or to a certain degree, we learn about the Korean culture while reading this, or at least by reading this first section and how important eating meat is to them, to their culture, and, and those surrounding young Kia, which, like I said, includes her husband, her family, and her husband's co-workers and wives. Colombians are very much about following through with traditions, and paying Mm. close attention to how one is perceived in society. Mm. Now, for both of you, thinking back to your own heritage and how both of you were raised within those traditions, can you guys think of one ritual that if your family, extended family, or your hometown found out you were not following through with or stopping cold turkey, no pun intended, (laughs) would... You be ridiculed for it, or or would you be ultimately chastised for? I'm. I have a pretty lame answer to this one, Mariana, because <laughs> um, I don't actually like the word heritage has never really resonated with me mm-hmm. in terms of my upbringing. Um, my mom is Irish Catholic, and that side of the family, and then my dad's side of the family. Um, is Jewish. And so there was always like a lot of interfaith practices and traditions, but heritage, 
I never really like connected to something to that word. Mm-hmm. Um, the only like rituals in, that are de- that are deeply rooted in like a a culture or a religion would be those connected to Judaism, to the Jewish holidays, because, mm-hmm. like, that's mm-hmm. what I practiced growing up. Right. I mean, we celebrated, like, Easter and Christmas, but it it felt like all of the Jewish holidays were the ones that held the weight, that yeah. had more gravitas. You know, we're, like, on Passover, if I accidentally ate unleavened bread, I was like, oh, my God, mm. or <laughs> leavened bread. <laughs> Whips. Um, or, you know, like, if I... If I didn't atone for my sins on Yom Kippur, you know, that some higher being would smite me down. But um, there's nothing, there's nothing that I should have kept up with that I didn't or that Mm. I would be chastised for. But on (laughs) the complete opposite way of how you've posed this question, one of my favorite new traditions that came out of COVID mm. was that every Friday night, my parents and I have lit the Shabbat candles together, Aww. which has been really, really That's cool. So That's beautiful. It's been nice. Like we did it growing up, but I haven't done that since I left home at 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been a new ritual that has been established. And now it's something that I want to carry forward and that I want to continue to do on a weekly oh. basis because now it, it means something new to me. Of yeah. course. But if I, you know, one week said I'm not doing Shabbat, they wouldn't care. So sorry, I don't have a great <laughs> answer, <laughs> I mean, but I'm excited answer. to hear what yours are. <laughs> I mean, I can't really think of anything that my immediate family would chastise me for, except for, like, maybe not being able to take a joke. Joking is really big in my family. Um, (laughs) There was a time when I would have said that becoming really religious all of a sudden would have have been seen as really odd by my Mm -hmm. family. But my mom, strangely, became really religious in the last several years. Mm -hmm. Um, She would have ridiculed me for it, but I definitely cannot ridicule her. For it, uh, I might throw a jab here or there, but that's all I'll, I'll dare. Uh, as far as my extended family goes, though, before I was married, I maybe had brought one or two like boyfriends home to meet my extended family. Um, but if I had suddenly brought a like a woman home, like a girlfriend home, or something like that. There definitely would have been ridiculing, not to my face, but like behind my back. Like if I had suddenly given up heterosexuality for Mm -hmm. homosexuality or even like bisexuality, it would have been a thing. It it would not have been received well. 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 Mm. Yeah. Wow. Well, <laughs> yeah, tell us, Mariana, lay it on us. What are these okay, Colombian yeah, well, traditions? Okay, well, first of all, full-on disclaimer, this is what I witnessed from my extended family, so I'm not, like, generalizing here that this happens for every mm-hmm. Colombian that has ever mm-hmm. existed, but I just wanted sure. to say that this is from my own experience. Yeah. And as I said, there were so many, <laughs> but especially for Colombian women is marriage, and doing um, everything in your power to make that marriage work, no mm. matter what. <sighs> I've seen how family members have treated those that have gotten divorced. And again, it's very oh. different from men because they kind of salute the men that c- can carry on an extramarital affair while keeping their wife happy. Yikes. <sighs> or those that are taking too long to get hitched. That's a whole other story. It's like... They are not part of the family. They become abandoned or pretty much looked down upon. Hmm. Ultimately, there's there's something wrong with them. And they tell that to your face. Like, I don't know what's going on wow. with you, but you need to figure your shit out pretty much. Wow. And it's like it's like if you were committing a sin for not finding the right person within the appropriate time. And God forbid if a woman were to try to get divorced... Be prepared to be banished from the family or good luck getting support from those around you. The ridicule is like seriously, ladies, everlasting to the extent that it is preferable to live in a lie and remain unhappy for eternity. And I know I'm being Uh, very harsh about what I'm saying. Oh, my God. But I've heard this and it's sad. And the worst part is that everyone knows the truth. But everyone, we are all willing to turn our cheek. 
So it's tough. Mm. It's really tough. And it, and it's still going on in the 21st century. That's a lot of pressure. Let's talk about these breasts. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Why do you think there are so many mentions about her breasts? Like, do, does it mean, is it a metaphor for something else? Because she really likes them. Mm-hmm. She's quite fond of them. It's everyone else that's so weirded out. Is that simply a cultural thing that you just don't? leave the house without your bra on well she's also she also says at some point in the book or in the chapters that we read at least that she loves her breasts because they seem to be the only round soft thing left Mm -hmm. on her body Mm -hmm. she says she's turning into all hard edges Mm -hmm. but these are the only like round Mm -hmm. soft thing left Mm -hmm. i sort of kept feeling like she's almost desexualizing herself, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense, and taking mm-hmm. off her shirt and, mm-hmm. you know, living this way. It's almost like she's saying these are not for sex. This is me. These are mine. Yeah. Like, this is who mm-hmm. I am as a person. And if you think about, you know, obviously like an animal, they don't cover up their breasts. Like, they use them to feed their babies. That's mm-hmm. all, you know, that's what they're for, for an right, animal. Right, mm-hmm. And so I almost felt her no reverting back to that, especially with these, like, rapes we know that she's enduring at the hands of her husband and stuff like it just seems like her way of being like mine me they're not for you yeah Mm, yeah Yeah, i totally agree with you brandy on that one well do you guys want to talk about those rapes at all i mean a question oh my god i don't know what to say about it except that it was very disturbing very disturbing that it gets to that point Yeah, it's extremely disturbing. And I also thought that it was, I mean, even before he was raping her, uh, he described their sex life by saying that in the past, she'd been more or less willing to comply with his physical demands. And now, you know, he says he's forced to pin her down. And he says that he even finds himself becoming aroused by Mm -hmm. pinning her down. Mm -hmm. It just sounds like in his mind, sexual contact is like his right as a husband. Mm -hmm. It's just a given. And he doesn't need her consent, just like he doesn't need her consent about anything else in her life. She's just expected to live her life the way he dictates for her. The other thing I wanted to say about this rape, though, because I feel like there are two different rapes that happen in this this part of the book. There's the rapes at the hands of her husband. Right. But then I felt like this horrific moment with her family where Mm -hmm. her father is saying pin her down Mm -hmm. and she's got her mouth clasped shut and he's physically prying it open with his fingers just trying to get this meat in i felt like that was a second rape that moment was Mm -hmm. maybe the most horrifyingly graphic of everything we read and Mm -hmm. you know we read some pretty fucked up shit this these chapters but that moment was horrific to me And it also just makes me wonder, like, is it really about the meat at this point? Like, it's, I feel like it's something deeper. It it can't just be. I agree. You can't have just decided to have given up meat. Here, eat some meat and then everything's fine. Yeah. It's, it's deeper than that. And, um, and I wonder if, if, if what that is, is like we're saying, just you can't break away from societal norms. Like, you're not acting like a wife. She's you're not acting, acting out. like a woman. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's defiant. Because it's not even about the actual eating of meat anymore, which is so stupid. Right. Well, because it's all of them, her family and her husband included, they all knew her or they knew of her behaving a certain way. This is unorthodox for her. This is not mm-hmm. what is typical for her. This is not the norm. And they, it seems to me that they just can't deal with that. She has a position in her family. And now that she's defying that, they can't deal with it. It has yeah. to be more than just the, the, the notion of not eating meat. It's like when a baby cries loudly for a long time and the parent doesn't know how to deal with it. So they like spank it to get it to shut up you know right <laughs> like or, that's or to, gonna help like abuse it right mm-hmm. but it's Snap like out of it <laughs> i don't know how to get you to shut yeah. up so i'm gonna like do something terrible because yeah. i can't stand your crying anymore and it has such a negative effect mm-hmm. right that you baby's gonna cry more baby anyway but but it seems also that they know. that she has been abused by her father for a very long time yeah it's yeah it that, sounds like there was some mm-hmm. violence mm-hmm. 
in their childhood. That this is not normal. And probably when she was abused or being struck by her father, that would change her. Or at least she would behave properly at that point. But now she's not giving in. And that's causing hysteria. Yeah. I found myself wondering, and I wonder if you guys had some idea, you know, in the midst of this, like, horrific moment with her family, she slits her wrists. Yeah, and that moment actually, like, slipped by me. I had to, like, go back and reread that. I was like, wait, 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 what happened? Yeah, but I wondered, like, what that was. I mean, is that just trying to escape the situation? Is that her trying to show how serious she is? Is that the madness overtaking her? And then it's a it's a, obviously a horrific moment, but it's topped off by her husband getting ready to take her to the hospital because she's bleeding and he realizes he's wearing two different shoes. <laughs> yeah. So he stops to put the correct shoe on I mean. to take his bleeding wife who just tried to commit suicide yeah exactly to the hospital what did you guys make of that moment why did do you have some sense of what why she did that what what was going on there i think it was an additional act of defiance it was another way for her to be like look Mm. i'm choosing to do this you want me to keep going here you go is this what you want do you want me to basically kill myself in front of you like i think it was just her being so overwhelmed with the toxicity that is her family and her life and just seeing that right there full throttle in front of her that she just like went on and did it to just Mm. go completely I think it's that or also just that combination of when you're so angry and you feel like you have no control, you just take the one thing that you feel like you have control of yeah. and you yeah. – I don't. I, sometimes I think that can even happen without even thinking about it, you know? It's yeah. just an escape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Whether it happens so fast that you're not even sure what you did, you just know that you need to release whatever is happening because it's so infuriating and emotional yeah. that – that's what comes out of that. Yep. And again, like I just said, it, it happened – that moment happened so fast that I didn't even realize that that had happened until there was mention later about her bloody wrists. Right. And I was like, why does she have bloody wrists? And then I went back and I was like, she slit her wrists? Like how did I miss mm-hmm. that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the author is vegetarian. Mm-hmm. Ooh. We'll have to look into that. I say probably. Wouldn't it be interesting if not? If not, it would be. <laughs> well, it very kind of seems to me though that vegetarianism isn't really her end game here. It seems no, like it's, it's not. just There's a lot I mean. more. Yeah, behind it's not it. even about meat. Yeah, it just seems like it's a symbol for for what's going on yeah. culturally and what's going on in this woman's life internally too. Yeah, emotionally. and what's going mm-hmm. on in her environment. Um. I I want to talk about these dreams that she's mm-hmm. having. Mm-hmm. So after reading about the instance with the dog who bit her that we talked about and the dog that her father tortured to death before cooking it and eating it, <sighs> I was so curious about what it was that set this whole thing in motion because it seems like she's been aware of the violence involved with eating meat since she was a child and in you know when she describes eating that meal made of that dog meat that her father had tortured she seems very undisturbed by it even as she's describing the Mm -hmm. dog's lolling eyes Mm -hmm. which she then thinks she sees in her meal which she doesn't she's just you know reliving all of it but it, it seems like she's been aware of the violence surrounding meat for a long time So I was curious about what kicks off this sequence of dreams and the thing that immediately precedes that first dream and the thing that precedes, you know, her newfound refusal to eat meat is this sort of violent moment when she cuts her finger while she's cooking Mm -hmm. and she sucks on it to stop the bleeding. Subsequently, her husband finds a small shard of the knife in his food and he screams at her for almost killing him. So I wanted to ask you ladies, like, In your mind, did the knife shard end up in there on purpose? Did tasting her own blood somehow wake her up to the fact that she, too, is an animal and that killing animals is akin to murdering humans? Are the souls of the animals she's eaten, which she says she can feel in her solar plexus, Mm -hmm. slowly driving her to madness? Like, what kicked off this sequence of events? 
It's a great question. I feel like everything that you mentioned, I think there's not one. And maybe it's something that we'll find out as we continue reading. It was just something that really stuck out to me as like, it doesn't seem like there's anything new. It doesn't seem like anything has changed. And yet everything has changed. She's suddenly having Mm -hmm. these dreams and her world is different. Right. I think sometimes it's when you've had enough, you've had enough. Like with what oh. Emma was saying about like her her attempted suicide happened so quickly, her slitting her wrist. Interesting. It's like there there's like kind of like the snap, the switch of the flip, the switch of the the flip of the switch. Flip, flip of, of, switch. of the switch. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that does not make sense. <laughs> the flip of the hey, this what is this? This bloody lady. Bloody, La- bloody, bloody lady. lady. <laughs> when there's that flip of the switch that is just like you just can't. You're just done. You're done. You can't control it anymore. And then you start reflecting on all these things that add up. And then you're like, okay. Yeah. Well, I personally have a really complicated relationship with my dreams. I I slip into and out of patterns where I'll have the same terrifying haunting nightmare over and over again Mm. for days. I'll be scared to go to sleep sometimes because I know it's coming. Like once I'm in that loop, it's it's going to keep happening for a while. Um, I've sometimes found myself having vivid dreams that make me feel like I've been asleep for ages, which I feel like is probably Mm. more common. Um, And a time or two, I've had dreams that are more like repressed memories Mm. that are like bumping up against my conscious mind, like trying to come to the surface. So I was wondering what your relationship with your dreams is. Are they vivid? Do they happen often? Are they more often scary or positive? Have you ever had one that, like our protagonist, makes you spring into action or that made you live differently? And I also want to know, Mariana, how often do you dream in Spanish versus English? And Emma, have you started dreaming in Italian yet? Hmm. (laughs) Well, the answer to that is no. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Unfortunately. Okay. I will get there. Yes, you'll get there. I love this question because I love my relationship with my dreams, mm. and I always have since I was a kid. Mm. Not for any particular reason. I just think that dreams are so fascinating. Yeah. And like, where do they come from yeah. and what do they mean? Yeah. And I don't track them as often as I did when I was young, but when I was a kid, I used to wake up and I would remember every dream and I wrote it down in a journal. Oh, I have I like for you. three dream journals that are completely full. Oh my goodness. And I would wake up and I would just write every detail. I remembered everything. And I awesome. I don't know why I stopped doing that. I think because it was just like exhausting. Would you to analyze have to do that them as well or not really, but I would find patterns within them. Oh interesting. Hmm. I've never had dreams that made me scared to go to sleep like you. That's crazy, Brandy. Like, and I wonder how you get around to being comfortable falling asleep. Right. But when I was a kid, I did have two terrifying dreams that I had on repeat almost every night. Oh, and wow. they were so scary. And I would describe them to my mom and oh. just to say, this is what's happening. Oh. And, and we didn't really analyze it. I don't actually remember what came of any of those conversations, but wow. they were they were scary. Mm. And I feel like for a while, I wasn't really remembering my dreams. But when I had COVID, mm. I was having crazy <gasps> oh, dreams. wow. Really? Really vivid. And every night, and I would wake up, and I would have just woken up. You know, like when you're coming like right out of a yeah. dream? And you're like, oh, I overslept because I was still dreaming and I was just living in that world. It was weird. And and I still am having pretty vivid dreams nightly. Well, I think similarly, I I also have kind of a deep, strong relationship with my dreams, too. My imagination is kind of like the most vivid when I dream. Hmm. I tend to remember them very, very clearly. Oh, wow. There actually have been countless times when I wake up for some strange reason, because I tend to be a lighter sleeper. I wake up 
and I try to force myself back to sleep so I can witness the ending of the, the dream. dream. Because oh, yeah, it like, plays out like that. a movie. Yeah. So yeah, like, wait, wait, yeah, what yeah. happened next? Me too. <laughs> yeah. And my dreams are usually associated with what's currently happening in my life, the world, I think mm. especially, or a piece of like, I guess, art that has maybe profoundly impacted me somehow. Mm-hmm. But I do have to say that most of my dreams are pretty gory and wickedly disturbing. Yeah. Wow. Many nights I've dreamt of the world ending, uh, oh, wow. facing an apocalypse, a plane that I'm oh on God. crashing, being in a war, dying, <sighs> close friends of mine or family members dying. But I never dream in Spanish. Really? Wow. Yeah. When you asked me that, I was like, I never dream in Spanish. Never. Wow. And Spanish was your first language? Yeah, and Spanish is my first language. So that is that's, very interesting. That's curious. Yeah. Even, and, so even when you go home, like when you go home, I'm assuming, are you speaking Spanish with your family? Oh, all or, the time. But all you're still time. dreaming in English. Yeah, but I'm still dreaming Weird. in English. And even when I'm thinking, like all my thoughts are in, you know, when I'm actually awake, like Funny. it's always in English. When I was going through my five surgeries, what what was so vivid is that not only was I having the phantom pains that people say that you normally do have, that Uh. you feel that sensation when you're just like, you know, thinking of stuff or whatever, of like that injury happening over and over again. But I would also have the phantom dreams where I kept on reliving the torturing sensation over and over. And I would have Mm. to wake up because the pain was so excruciating. Oh, my God. Of like feeling that that. Which is such, I will never forget what that feels like. But in my dream, I would feel it. And it would feel like my whole body would just give into that. Like everything else would just be that. The pain. I also have sexual dreams too. Hey, that's that's good. That's that's what we want to talk about. (laughs) So those are really fun. But the cool one is that I've, I've dreamt many, many a time of my teeth falling out. And I've analyzed this. What does it mean? Yeah. And it means like you're letting go of something and there's a change that is bound to <gasps> something happen. Something new is coming in. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. What are your dreams? What are these yeah. scary ass dreams? I know that you can't go to sleep. Yeah. I mean, uh, similar to you, Mariana, I'll have dreams where I won't say ca- like catastrophes are happening but most of my dreams i'm being followed by something or someone dark and i i'm definitely afraid always of whatever it is and i'm running from it and hiding from it and sort of you know trying to evade it um and the dreams will vary in like where i am and who i see and what's around me and you know the circumstances will change but i'm i'm typically always running away from something that's behind me that doesn't have a face. It's like just a dark figure. But then like, you know, recently I I don't have a lot of memories from my childhood. I have a couple that are a little bit, I I mean, I have many that are very good. Mm. I have a couple that are a little bit disturbing. Mm. And like recently I had one that I, I literally had this dream and I woke up and I was, I was shaking. I was so scared of what I had just dreamed. And this was a dream that did make me, I was afraid for days of going to sleep mm-hmm. because I could just feel it was coming back. But it made me remember something. It's what the thing that happened to me in the dream was completely different from what I remembered, but it triggered a memory that I had just completely forgotten from my uh, childhood. Mm. So it's, I don't know, it's, it's interesting the way that that's happened to me a few times where mm. it's almost like something is in there in my subconscious and it's just right. like trying to push its way through to say like remember this remember this which is cool it's just also typically a little scary it's typically not a fun memory so are we ready for our last final question is that time of a happy hour let's do it my favorite (laughs) i finished my bloody lady well then it's definitely about time (laughs) if your husband's had to describe you, what would be the one word that you would despise hearing them use as your description? And we can't use the word ordinary, please. I do not want to hear that word. <laughs> that, one, that one's taken, is yes, it? That's, <laughs> we're done with that one. I would despise hearing Ricardo describe me as cute. Ooh. Ooh. But you are so cute. 
kidnapped. Oh, she gonna kill you? <laughs> it's <Girl>. a trigger. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Em. Stop. <laughs> For me, the word would be lazy. If I ever oh. heard Jason call me lazy, that could I would never cut a bitch. Yeah. If I was That's ever the called last that word I think anyone yeah. can say for you. Mm, yeah. My claws would come out. Yeah. What about you, Mariana? Satisfactory. Ooh. I'm just. Yeah. No. Satisfactory. Yeah. That's, That's a really no. bad one. <laughs> New. No <Yes>. thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Right, you exceptional lady. Uh, uh, thank you. And our exceptional listeners, thank you all yes. so much for listening. If you have an insight or a question you'd like us to discuss on an episode, shoot us an email at arethesebooksdrunk at gmail.com for a chance to be featured on our listener question segment. Woo. Yeah, yeah. Well, on that note, I would love to give Amy Lee Golden an enormous yeah. shout out for yes. finding us and enjoying us so much that she actually wants to party with us now. Yeah, yeah, girl. <laughs> yes, Amy. <laughs> also to Susan Charabi or Siarabi, excuse me if I'm mispronouncing your name, who enjoys listening to us while she makes dinner and she is sipping along with us too. Cheers, yes. Susan. And thank you to Martha607, that's her Apple Podcast code name, for the five-star review you gave us. Glad you tuned in. Yes, yes thank, thank you, Martha. Martha607. <laughs> Next week, we'll be discussing pages six 61 to 124 in the hard copy of the book. That's up until the chapter entitled Flaming Trees. (laughs) Stay tuned on our Instagram page at Are These Books Drunk to find out next week's cocktail pairing so that you can read along and sip along with us. Cheers, ladies. Salud. I got nothing left to cheers. Aww. Aww. I'll cheers you with my tit. Okay. Oh, all right. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.